0: This program is brought to you by Abiding Above Ministries. The title of this message is Christ Died for You, 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter is a practical help in accepting suffering in life. The Lord Jesus allows us to suffer, and suffering is beneficial because it produces certain desirable qualities in our life. One such is perseverance. Now when I say the word perseverance... Some of our Reformed brethren and covenant theologians, they see perseverance as that you as a believer will persevere to the very end. But all the emphasis is on what you do instead of on what the Holy Spirit does in and through you. My personal position on perseverance is the Holy Spirit who lives in you will persevere with you to the end, whether that be by death or by the rapture of the church, so we will persevere if we're children of God. It's not left up to us to do, it's what God does in and through you. So I want to give a backdrop here of First Peter. In chapter two, verse 13, and then I'll read our text here in a moment, but I want to give a backdrop here of what's going on. In chapter two, verse 13, you see that citizens are to submit to the government. Now, how do you like that? Because i tell you what, I don't like the way things are in the United States right now. It bugs me. But you know what? When you read First Peter, we are to submit to the government. Even a government that's ungodly, you and I are to submit to. Uh, chapter 2, also in verse 13, it says, Slaves are to submit to their masters. Or you could say employees are to submit to their bosses. Chapter 3, verse 1, ladies, it says that wives are to submit to their husbands. Now, I know that's repulsive for some women because their husbands are not the spiritual leaders. Their husbands are everything that you would not want to submit to. And my heart grieves for you because I know that must be hard because I don't like to submit to this government, to be honest with you. But the Bible tells me I have to. And the Bible says that employees are to submit to their uh, bosses or masters. Uh, Back in these days, slaves and masters, they called it. Wives are to submit to their husbands. And and then chapter 5 says younger believers are to submit to the older ones, the elders. Uh, Someone has said the ultimate Christian answer to persecution, detractors, and critics is that of a blameless life, conduct beyond reproach, and good citizenship, in particular Submission is a supremely
1: Christ-like virtue. For us as children of God, to submit to authorities above us or over us is a godly thing. But we are called as children of
0: God to be submissive. But I'm like you. Everything inside of me says, no way, I'm not going to be. But the Bible tells me that I must be. You see, there are authorities on this earth and those authorities have been delegated by God. God is the ultimate authority but there is delegated authority. Human governments are instituted by God. Romans chapter 13 verse 1 Paul said, Yet let every soul be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God, and listen, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Rulers are God's servants. The psalm says that tornadoes, storms are God's servants. There's nothing that can go on anywhere around you that God cannot and will not use. And then Romans chapter 13, verse 4, Paul says, for he is God's minister to you for good. Talking about rulers. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. So even if the rulers are not believers, they are still God's rulers officially. And you are and I are to submit and to obey them. Even if they are dictators and tyrants, their rule is... Is better than no rule at all. The complete absence of rule is anarchy and no society can continue to exist under anarchy. So any government is better than no government at all. Order is better than chaos and believers should submit to every human institution for the Lord's sake. And when we do, we're fulfilling His will and doing the thing that pleases Him. Now I know you say, boy, I just don't know if I'm going to like this summer night. When I get done, you will. And when I get done, you'll see, I don't have a leg to stand on. I must submit. You say, what if they ask me to do something that's against the word of God? Do not submit to that. What if they ask me to do something that would mean that I would sin? Do not do it. There is a line drawn, and that line, my friend, is the word of God. You and I do not have to submit to any authority that would have us to disobey the word of God. At that point, we do not rebel against it. We simply say, no, I cannot, because that's sin against God, and that's contrary to the Word of God. And so there is a line that can be drawn. But until that line is stepped over, you and I, according to the Word of God, are to submit to God-given,
1: delegated authorities. We are to respond to this present world system the way our Savior did. Now, how did he respond?
0: Well, let's look at our text. First Peter chapter two. We're going to break right in here to 13 verse 25. I've given you a backdrop of first Peter here. You see what was going on. They were undergoing persecution because of evil. But Peter was showing this is how we must respond. And then let's look at verse 13 here. He says, therefore, in other words, everything I said up to now, and therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake whether to the king as supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God. Notice that it's the will of God. And notice again, earlier he said, it's for the Lord's sake. Now he's saying, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may, listen, put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. And of course, we know We have two houses full of those in Washington, D.C. Foolish men, ignorant, but you put them to silence. Why? Because you're free in Christ Jesus, but what does he say? Yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice. Yes, you and I are free in Christ Jesus. I preach that, teach that, always will. But we do not have a license to sin and to use our freedom in Christ Jesus as a cloak to subtly do evil we must be careful but as bond servants of God he says honor all people love the brotherhood fear God honor the king all right what does he say now about submission to masters he says servants be submissive to your masters or in our day you could say employees uh, be submissive to your employer with all fear that don't mean shaking in your boots that means reverence and honor because they're in authority Without authority, without structure, without governing, there's chaos. That's not good either. So he says, be submissive with all fear. Not Like I say, not shaking in your boots, out of reverence. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is, listen, commendable. If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully, For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Now, I know this is hard to swallow, but we're going to see our example in just a moment. What he's saying is this. He says, you can do good and you can keep moving forward and respond the right way and still get no credit for it, get no praise for it, and you say, well, what good is it? I'm showing patience. I'm doing diligence. I'm listening to the authorities over me, and I'm obeying. I'm not rebelling, and I'm getting no praise or credit. So what is what he's saying? He's saying, what credit is it for you when you are beaten for your faults? You take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Man may not commend you, but God will. Verse 21 says, for to this you were called. Do you realize that, my friend? You and I were called to this. If we lived in another nation besides this wonderful, great nation we call America, our grandparents would have already experienced persecution. Our parents would have and we would have. We're just now about to really experience persecution. I believe in the United States of America over these next four years like never before. And the last election shows that we're on that downward spiral. It's finally upon us. We've been a living, high, wide, and handsome. We've been free and enjoying things. But listen, and I'm not wanting to be negative. I'm wanting to be truthful. And I'm wanting to prepare our hearts and our minds as we read the newspapers and as we watch television, and as we're beginning to deal with things in the workplace that are unfair, and as you begin to see all these things coming at us at a rapid rate, the temptation is to compromise. The temptation is to be rebellious. The temptation is to get on the internet and to get on your email and your text and just go on a rampage and all these things. But according to the Word of God, you and I are to submit to authority, unless we're asked to do something contrary to the Word of God, and by our submission and our staying steadfast, yes, persevering, not by our gut, but by the power of the Holy Spirit who's within us. We're going to be a blessing to those who may hate us and persecute us. They're going to see a difference in us, and they're going to want to know our God. Now. With that in mind, number one, Christ, our example. Christ, our example. So let's look on to see what Peter, the one who told us we had to submit to uh, authorities, uh, even though uh, they're not good authorities, we still have to submit. Let's go on to see what he had to say. 1 Peter 2, 21. He says, For to this you were
1: called, because Christ also suffered for us. Notice leaving
0: us an example that you should follow his steps. Notice he says for us. He's talking to Christians. The word example here means something written underneath, traced or copied over. It's like if you were to take a clear piece of paper, uh, somewhat clear and put it over someone else's writing, you could look through it and you could trace their handwriting perfectly. But what it's saying here, he's saying, you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example. And that word example is like uh, a child tracing uh, letters and uh, the pupil seeks to reproduce the original as closely as possible. Listen, our safety is in staying close to the original, the pattern, the example. And my friend, the example is the person of Jesus Christ. The thought of believers Uh, suffering for righteousness' sake, leads us to think of Jesus. No one was ever treated as unjustly as He or bore it as patiently as Jesus did. And we've been called to act as He acted, suffering from the wrongs of others. I'm like you. I don't like to suffer from the wrongs of others. But according to the Word of God, our example is Jesus who suffered, who never sinned, and we see how He patiently uh, responded. You know, Jesus didn't suffer for his own sins because he had none. And think about that. Jesus was uh, both God and man. Jesus lived on this earth 33 years, and Jesus never had a sarcastic look on his face. He never tried to express himself with body language and speech to let you know, I don't like you. Why? Because all that is sin, and Jesus never sinned. Christ is the pattern for believers to copy In their lives. But think about it. This same Jesus that we're talking about. That Peter says we are to be an example. I mean like being traced over so perfectly. That same Jesus lives in you and me. This is not something that you say, well this is impossible. I can't bear up under the persecution at work. I can't bear up under the persecution at home. Or wherever it may be. Or in our nation. Yes you can. You will and you can persevere by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. And from that, abiding in him, the example, the copy of Jesus Christ, but in a living way comes through you and me in this perseverance. So Christ is our example and he lives in us. The second thing is this, Christ, our substitute. Christ, my friend, was sinless. He was sinless. Look at First Peter chapter 2, verse 22. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Now, Peter here is quoting from the Old Testament. Uh, Jesus never failed in his action or in his words. He was sinless. Uh, turn, if you will, back to Isaiah uh, chapter 53. Now, Isaiah was written some 700 years before Jesus Christ came uh, as a baby in Bethlehem. And so 700 years before Jesus came on the scene in a physical body, this was written by Isaiah, chapter 53. And as you read this, you can clearly see the persecution that Jesus went through and the crucifixion, Isaiah 53. I want to read this uh, chapter here to you and you say, who is this talking about? My friend is talking about Jesus. And if you have a Jewish Friend, that you've been trying to lead to the Lord, this is an excellent place to take them. Why? Because they only accept the Old Testament. This is the Old Testament, but my friend, you can see Jesus all through these verses. Listen, Isaiah 53 Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form. Or comeliness. That means, and when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities.
1: The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we were here talking about the lashings that he would go through. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted. Notice, yet he opened not his mouth. This is long
0: before the crucifixion. 700 years, he was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers. Notice, is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Two times it's said that he opened not his mouth. He was silent, though he was persecuted and afflicted, though he was sinless. Talking about Jesus. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. We know that Jesus was buried in a rich man's tomb. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Notice. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant shall justify. Notice justify many just declared righteous what that's talking about. For he shall bear their iniquities Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Listen, only a sinless savior could die for sinful man. So Christ, my friend, is our substitute. You even see it in the Old Testament. Christ was sinless. Not only was Christ sinless, Christ was submissive. Remember, he was sinless. No deceit was found in him. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. And he was submissive from the time he was born. He was under the subjection of his mom and dad. The Bible says he grew in stature and wisdom. And Peter says that you and I are to obey and submit to these governing authorities, even though They rule over us in an ungodly manner. And then Peter says, He is your example. He's your example. Your life should be traced with a life of Christ because why? The third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, lives in you. You can, you will
1: persevere by the Spirit of God who is within you. Christ was submissive. Look back now at 1 Peter 2, verse 23
0: who when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did
1: not threaten. What did he do? He committed himself to him who judges righteously.
0: Isaiah 53, 7 says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted,
1: yet he opened not his mouth. 1 Peter 2, 23 again. When he was reviled, did not revile
0: in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges justly. You say, well, I don't know if I can do that. In and of yourselves, you can't do it. And I can tell you this, most Christians are not doing that in this day. We're upheaval. We're going to political factions trying to somehow change America through men who are evil, men who who don't even read the Word of God. What we need to do as a church is get back to the Word of God, relying on the Spirit of God, letting the ungodly world watch us live our life as an example because we have God's Spirit within us until we influence one by one by one the whole. It's going to take time. And so, Jesus, when He was reviled, He did not revile in turn. Isaiah 53 says, He was silent. He was like a sheep before His shearers.
1: You know why he was that way? Jesus Christ, not only was our example, he was our substitute. You say, what do you mean? According to the Old Testament and the New Testament, Jesus became our what? Sin. And listen, sin has no defense. So he stood silent. Why was he silent? Because he became your sin and mine. He was not defending himself.
0: He was sinless. He had never done anything wrong. No deceit found in him whatsoever. No conceit, nothing. Sinless. But he became our sin. And so what was there for him to argue about? Because he became our sin. He came to do what God sent him to do. There was a minister one time who was in a town visiting, preaching, and he had a farmer who invited him to stay on his farm. He said, you can stay on my farm while you're in town. So he took him up on it, and the minister thought, you know, by chance, maybe after a a few
1: days, I'll lead this farmer to the Lord. And So one day, the farmer came to the minister and said, come out here to the hen house, I want to show you something.
0: And So the minister followed the farmer out to the hen house, and he walked over to uh, the coop there, and he walked over. He saw a hen there. And he saw a lot of
1: little uh, chicks there under the wing of the mother in the hen house. And then the farmer told the minister, said, touch the mother. And he touched the mother, and the mother was cold and dead. But those little chicks were all under that wing. He said, look at the head of the mother. And there was a hole in that head with blood. He said, a weasel came in here last night and sucked the blood out of his mother. And the mother never moved for fear that the little chicks would be destroyed. Sat there and took it till death to save the chicks. That's what Jesus Christ did. Jesus Christ could have spoke the
0: word, and my friend, angels would have been around him in a moment. Human beings could never have put him on the cross and nailed him. But he sat there, and he took it, and he never uttered a word in silence. He died completely for you and for me. My friend, that's what Christ did for us.
1: Christ, our substitute, was sinless. Christ, our substitute, was submissive. And so, Jesus could have moved and saved his own life, but he wouldn't because you and I were under his wings. And if he had moved, move, you and I would be lost to this day. Apostle Paul said
0: in Romans 5.10, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved, By his life. Someone wrote this. I'm not sure who wrote
1: it. But it talks about why Jesus was silent. And I've already referred to it. Why is he silent. When word. Would slay his accusers all. Why does he meekly bear
0: their taunts. When angels wait his call. He was made sin. My sin he bore. Upon the accursed
1: tree and sin hath no defense to make. His silence was for me. Christ was sinless, Christ was submissive, and Christ was sufficient. You see, the reason God sent Jesus to die on the cross is because there was no
0: other way to remove the guilt and sin to save the souls of people. There was no other way. First Peter two twenty four. look at this. Who himself... Bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. By whose stripes you were healed. It's as if Peter, an eyewitness to the crucifixion, is stressing Jesus, the sinless one. He bore our sins in his own body, right up onto this tree. In other words, it's, it's like Peter saying. I saw it. He was sinless. He committed no sin. There was no deceit found in him. We're the ones who are sinners, separated from God. And he took upon him sinless, and he bore our sins. And I watched it
1: right upon this tree. You know the interesting thing? The very tree that Jesus was crucified on, he grew that tree on earth. He grew the tree. He says, having Died to sins.
0: The Savior's agony was not brought on by his own sins, for he had none. It was for our sins he was nailed to the cross. Because he has suffered for our sins once for all, we should never allow ourselves to get into the same position where we have to suffer for them too. Think about this. When you and I suffer for sins, because God loves us, he disciplines us, what we're doing is we're suffering for a sin that Jesus Christ has already died for. So basically, we're going through something that we need not go through. The fact that He died for them should cause us to die to them. Having died to sins, but not only that, look what He says in 1 Peter 2, 24. Live for righteousness. His death for our sins made it possible for the believer to be free from the penalty and power of sin Therefore, you and I are to live for righteousness. Ephesians 2 says, We were dead in our trespasses and sins. You and I have been crucified with Christ. We're dead to the world, the flesh, and the devil. We can respond to it, but we don't have to. Our sin has been atoned for, covered and canceled. But you and I can say no to it, not in our own strength. We can say no to it. By the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in us, who was crucified for that sin and that temptation that we walk towards. And so we are to live uh, for righteousness. He says uh, again in verse 224, he says, whose stripes you were healed. This does not refer to physical healing, for it is a completed action. The healing is an accomplished fact uh, as the reference to salvation. Sometimes people use that and say, see, there healings in the atonement. No, it's not. It's not talking about physical healing. It is talking about uh, what happens at salvation. Isaiah 53, 5, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. So Christ is our example. Christ, my friend, is our substitute. Third and last thing is this. Christ is our shepherd. Look at 1 Peter 2, 25. For you were like sheep, going astray, but notice, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. You see, Christ not only set an example and provides salvation, but He also gives us guidance and protection to those who were headed away like sheep going astray from Him, but who then turned about rather than return to the shepherd and overseer of their souls. Shepherd and overseer conveys Christ's guidance and management of those who commit themselves to His care.
1: Conversion is the returning to the guardian of our souls. We are God's by creation. We're His. But
0: because of sin, sin separated us from the God who created us. And so all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way.
1: But you and I were born again. We return to his keeping care and we're safe and secure forever. You know, all through God's word, he talks about sheep, talks about
0: him being the shepherd. I remember in 1993, I had the privilege of going to the Holy Land with Dr. Rogers. And uh, we went out to a pasture and there was a watering hole there and we stopped off there with the bus. There was a shepherd and his sheep coming down from a hill the watering hole on this side, and a shepherd and his sheep coming down through the watering hole on this side and they got to the watering hole and those sheep just got all mixed together in there. and I I'll never forget I was standing there with Dr. Roger and I said, "How do they know that somebody's not going to get the other guy's sheep?" He said, "You just watch." and so they watered themselves well and and so eventually one of the shepherds left the watering hole and he walked up this hillside over here, and he got up there on the hillside. The sheep were all still down here drinking water,
1: and he made the strangest noise with his voice. But when he did, the sheep separated perfectly, and they ran to him up the hill perfectly. Dr.
0: Rogers looked at me and said, See there, the sheep knows the shepherd's voice. John 10, 27 through 29. Listen to what
1: Jesus says. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Example, we're to follow Him. He's our pattern. He's our life. And I give them
0: eternal life. What's eternal life? It's God's own life and He says, I give my sheep who know me, who hear me, I give them eternal life. My own life. Yes, they will persevere. Why? Because I'm in them, persevering through them. And so, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. That includes, you can't snatch yourself out of the hands of God, because you're part of the anyone's. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all.
1: And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Amen? Aren't you glad Jesus Christ didn't rebel,
0: didn't get sarcastic when the Father said, go down here, live 33 years, be beaten, be mocked, be shamed, and by the way, stay silent
1: in the process. Aren't you glad He sat there with all of us under His wings, allowing Himself to completely die When he could have said one word
0: and everyone around him would have been obliterated. But what did he do?
1: He only did those things he heard his father and saw his father do in heaven. So that tells you what God is like in heaven. He said, I came here not to do my will, but the father's will. And what did he do for you and me? He said, I didn't leave you here as orphans. I'm sending the Holy Spirit who will be with you and will be in you. Like Peter said, he is our example. He is our pattern. But he lives in us. And he said to the disciples, you will do greater things than I have done. And then he left them. He went
0: back to heaven. He sat down because his work was finished. He atoned for the sin of the world. He sat down by the right hand of the Father. And I believe He's coming again, and I believe He's coming again very soon to come get what's rightfully His. Amen. You've been listening to Abiding Above Ministries with Chris Hodges. If you would like Chris to speak at your church or event, please go to our website, abidingabove.org.
1: God bless you and make you a blessing.